Men of honor, strength, and integrity have long been essential in society. The Honorable Man Podcast is a celebration of such men. Here, we will discuss men in history and those today that exemplify what it means to be an honorable man. Let's go. All right, let's go. I'm Ed Jones, and welcome to the Honorable Man Podcast, a podcast dedicated to men who've chosen the path of honor, strength, and integrity. If you're looking to become a better man, you've come to the right place. On this week's episode, we are going to be doing a deep dive, an interview, a one-on-one, know him, love him, hate him, producer Bill. We are going to be talking <laughs> to Bill Smith. You know him as producer Bill, but we're going to, I'm going to interview Bill so our listeners will have a better idea of who this knucklehead is in their ear holes every week. And... Um, Bill's a fascinating guy, a <laughs> lot of interests, a <laughs> lot of cool stuff. We're sitting in his house. I'm looking at thousands of CDs, comic books, albums, all kinds of rock posters, all kinds of stuff. So we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get you guys a little bit closer to Bill here this week. Spend uh, you know half an hour or so getting to know you a little bit better and see you, where that goes. <laughs> they have been they have been warned. Right? They have been warned. So so well. Thanks for thanks yeah. for doing this. I, I know we talked about. Uh, me and Tim and you kind of interviewing one another, so I'm yep. glad we're, we're getting a chance to do this, yep. uh, so thank you. It's a, I think it's important. I think, I think the people that listen all the time know us, where we, what we're about, Yeah, but they don't necessarily know how we got here, right? Well, I, I think, you know, this is important. This is like the origin story. Exactly. You know, I like was it, thinking origin story on my right yeah, over here. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, why, why, why do you does Batman do what he does? Well, it's because of what happened to him. So mm-hmm. kind of, I guess why we do what we do is uh, collectively or individually what's happened to us. So thank you. And, and I just want to say at the onset, uh, you know, I want to personally thank all the guys in the group that's embraced me and, and my book. And I get so many messages from some of the guys that's, that have bought it and it's really impacted them. Uh, so sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you, because that's, that's awesome. a reward. And that's something that I never, you know, my wildest dreams, no joking aside, I, my, my goal was to be able to do this as a living, and I'm hoping that one day I'll be able to. But the the what I got in exchange for what I thought I was going to get, I, I wouldn't trade for, oh, that's um, awesome. that's you awesome. know, for anything. Worthwhile. So. It's been worthwhile. Yeah, totally. Regardless totally. of how yeah. things shake out from here on, it's been worthwhile. It's been yeah. a worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. So, cheesy interviewing question number one. Sure. Where are you from? Where were you born? Uh, I grew up. I was raised in Painesville Township. Actually, so about where, where were you sitting? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I uh, my, uh, my house where my parents lived is probably about a mile and a half away from here. Really? Co- coincidentally, that was completely sure. not a purposeful thing. Uh, but you know, I, I really believe that God wanted me to kind of stick in this area. Uh, I, I have a deep love of Cleveland and uh, the area that we're in. Um, my dog, Ben is eating a box of my, <laughs> my music, uh, while he's trying to get his bone. But, uh, yeah, I've had many opportunities to move away and it's just never shook out. It I was love just, Ohio, man. I, I love Ohio. I love, I love Northeast Ohio. I, I really do. I, I do. I, I love it here. And, you know, maybe one day my path will take me somewhere else. But as for now, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm love Cleveland, love the East side specifically. East side. <laughs> yeah. So when did you graduate high school? What year? Uh, well, I graduated high school, 1995, uh, cl- okay. class so of, you're younger than me. Yeah. Uh, class of river, Riverside, 95. You're a beaver. Yeah. I, I, 
graduated from Kirtland University, also known as Lakeland. Lakeland, nice. Yeah, I went there uh, for a spell, too. Yeah, 2013. So that was I, I was on the 18-year program for a two-year degree uh, there. So. so for the folks that aren't familiar with Northeast Ohio, the, 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 uh, the high school that Bill's referencing, and I know we're, we're right we're in the shadow of it, basically, is called Riverside. Yeah, it's pretty much my backyard. And the mascot of Riverside is the beaver. <laughs> they are the Riverside Beavers. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. no no shortage of jokes there. No, no, no. The cheerleaders no, no, no. probably take a beating at away games. Yeah, they get it's... eaten up. <laughs> you could tell I'm a graduate. <laughs> All right, so you <laughs> I've never seen that shade of red Sorry. on your face before. Yeah, Ed. That's great. Graduated ninety five, went to went to Lakeland. Communications, what was it again? I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, communication and um, English was my my minor. So, now that you can tell, but <laughs> <laughs> did I speak pretty well? Yeah, good. Not so. What'd you do after after Lakeland? What happened? Where'd you career wise? What happened? Uh, well, so I mean, really after that. Uh, so if you look around, you see a lot of posters mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. I one of my dream jobs was uh, I was always into music. Obviously, you can see uh, I have many relics of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I became a music journalist for about eight years and I got to literally live my dream. I made a living, uh, going to concerts, listening to music, hanging out and talking to musicians, um, celebrities, uh, within the music field or industry. Um, and I had an awesome opportunity to befriend some of them. Some, I, I still occasionally talk to, uh, so that's what immediately after uh, college I did. So uh, who'd you write for? Was it scene or was it, who'd you write so, for? So I, I, I did mostly, well, two things, mostly freelance. I have written, written for scene. I've written okay. for, uh, written. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've wrote for, uh, nationally publicated, um, relics. Um, probably the biggest one anyone would listening may know, uh, a lot of freelance stuff, like I said, a lot of, uh, I had, I, so I had my own show, uh, own website for many years. It was called the rock office mm. and it's, uh, it's actually still on YouTube. If, if anyone wants to look it up the rock office and my uh, buddy, Kevin and I, we would go and interview, I mean, we interviewed people like run DMC counting crows, the bacon brothers, Kevin bacon, um, uh, you know, just look at like POD. We got to, I got to meet uh, Paul Stanley and Kiss doing that. Um, Big Hat Town, the Monsters, Tesla. I'm just, you know, I'm like, look, uh, Blues Traveler, Cracker. Um, yeah, just trying to, uh, Manage Yahoo's Easy Ward, 311. Just, uh, wow. Uh, the Scorpions. Uh, um, awesome, big names. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, but you know, the interesting thing, one thing I've learned. And that's helped my position, or my I shouldn't say my position, my attitude towards people. is like everybody puts their leg on, or their pants on, one leg at a time. Sure. And the people, like, at the level of success that I was fortunate enough to work with, like, they're just the coolest, nicest people. So so expound on that. Like, who, who was cool? Who was cool that people wouldn't think was cool? Like, is Paul Stanley a good dude? Because you could I, see him being kind of a, I'll know. tell you what, I... I so how I met Paul Stanley was I was uh, Blossom hanging out backstage. I mean, no one's ever been to Blossom, like the backstage area. You know, you go under the pavilion, and it's literally almost like a bunker. Oh, it's really? like It's like three or four 
stories down. Oh no, I had no idea. Yeah, and it's all, it's all underground. It's, it's like literally like it's it feels like a bunker when you're there. And when you go up, there's like service elevators and service steps, and it can lead you to the back of the stage or the backstage area, wherever. Uh, but each of the different acts, because normally they have a lot of festivals there, so it's kind of. Uh, it's kind of separated. It's kind of blocked off, if mm-hmm. you will. But there, you know, there's main arteries. But anyway, uh, the one band I went to work with that night it was called the Dead Daisies, uh, and they're kind of a, a conglomerate of these semi-retired musicians mm-hmm. that, like, they had worked. Um, uh, God, Tommy Aldridge, uh, Max Cavallero, Dean Casanova. Um, Glenn Hughes, John Karabi. I don't know if anybody knows any of these guys. <laughs> John Karabi was the lead singer of Motley Crue when Vince Neil took out uh, took over. Glenn Glenn Hughes was the bass player in Deep Purple uh, for a while. Um, so these are you know these are guys like that have they're veterans, but if they're yeah. not like you know, but you know just hanging out with those guys and backstage, and then um, they leave to go do their show, and we're just hanging out there. And Paul Stanley's like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Paul Stanley." And <laughs> Tommy Thayer was there, and just you know quickly chatted with them, and just nice guy. Just like I said, yeah. introduced himself. Gene didn't. Uh, I didn't see him, but I don't know if he would. He probably charged me to say. Now hi were they there to play? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so right there's the poster. They did a co-headlining tour with the uh, okay. Def Leppard, who. I've seen Kiss a number of times. That was the first time I saw Def Leppard. Um, Def Leppard was uh, this. They stole the show that evening. They are, yeah. I just saw them a couple of years ago with our Ar- Speedwagon's phenomenal. Okay. Live. Oh yeah, yeah. That was I, I bet one of the best shows I've ever seen. And it's kind of a, it was a nostalgia thing at I'm the sure. time, you know, because I was in high school when Hysteria came out. Oh, and, and, okay, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, they're phenomenal. Yeah, I well, mean, Hysteria is Campbell still. Oh, Phil Collin, all those guys, yeah, yeah. Those guys, yeah. 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 Joe Elliott, Rick, uh, yeah. Rick, Rick Savage, Savage, yeah. Uh, Savage with the one arm, yeah, Rick, yeah, Rick Allen. So, but yeah, so that that's basically what I did uh, for about, like I said, seven, seven, eight years, um, and it, it was pretty much my dream job. Yeah, you can see like Dizzy Reed, he was in Guns N' Roses, uh, was in the in the band that the form, the lineup was changing as I was interviewing them. Cause they're so kind of like, sort a of like a all-star kind of Ringo yeah. star, all-star band. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But they record albums regularly. They're pretty okay. decent. Dead daisies. If you get a chance, anyone. So can. what, so you, you did that for how long, how long were you a rock journalist? Seven, eight years. And then fell out of love with it or. Well, my ex-wife left me. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if anybody knows anything about journalism, it's really a dying art. Um, you know, people just don't read anymore. And, you know, the magazine, newspaper circulations are like, you know, in the shitter. Uh, so when she left, I, I needed something that was a little more substantial. And uh, actually, God blessed me with an awesome job at the uh, Cleveland Sight Center uh, because I am legally blind. Uh, not I don't drive i just i can't do it. there's a lot of stuff like i can't do so god really opened this door for me to be able to uh work from home they're a great company a nonprofit, uh cleveland site center they've been it used to be called cleveland society cleveland society for the blind they've been open since 1901 they're right oh, there wow. on um east first one over one street there um right outside of university circle but great organization nonprofit. um just they they help people like me that you know, aren't dead, but they have some obstacles and they provide employment opportunities, training, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, that's what I did 
professionally for about four and a half years. And then in January of this year, I took a new position as the uh, office manager for Vertex Pro Painting, uh, working with my best buddy, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Santee. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's so th- from journalism to what did you do with the uh i was a call center uh, i was a customer service gotcha, representative gotcha. in a call center and i also was trainer and okay. uh stuff like that you know just basic customer service okay so so let's talk about the health sure because that's <laughs> you know yes it's a thing and well it's a don't thing. be bashful it's a thing it's um it's a significant part of who you are yes and who the man that you've become Yes. So you have had multiple, multiple, multiple health issues. So yeah. going back how far? I mean, when did all this crap start for you? Uh, I mean, if I had to pinpoint an exact date, it would be September 2004. Okay. Uh, I, I, my first marriage, I was married in May of 2004. And September 2004, I started seeing things like float around in my eye. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I didn't think anything of it. And I had always gotten like regular eye checkups. And at the time I was a banker, uh, you know, and I, literally about six months before actually this incident happened, I'm about to tell you about, I went to Sears Optical and they're like, oh, you're great. I guess that's probably why they're out of business now. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I saw some float around my eye. I, I went to see um, like a real eye doctor, I guess you could mm. say. And uh, I, I'll never forget this. He was sitting in his chair and, you know, they put you they in the, the thing. Th- in face, yeah. Man. And he like looked at me, goes, whoa, and shoots back. And he, he grabs me by my arm, yanks me to his office. And he's like, I have been doing this for 40 years. You have the worst eyesight I have ever seen. Or no, I'm, he, your eyes are the worst I've ever seen in the in the 40 years I've been doing this. And I'm like, so I can't imagine that's a good thing, right? And, and, and it was just this weird. You know, in a couple of times, a couple of things I'll tell you about. Like there's those movies where like something will happen, and it's like the character kind of comes out of themselves mm-hmm. and they're like witnessing something like first right. person. Right. And this was one of uh, several moments in my life, but I was like, okay, I just, it, it, I was like 26, maybe, uh, you know, young buck, if you will. And, um, just had no idea what was about to happen. So I remember, you know, he's like, you need to go talk to this person. So I made, uh, Appointment, uh, gentleman is named Super Wong. He literally is like one of the best eye doctors in the world. Um, once again, hand of providence on my life. I, I'm so, so thankful for that. And I've been seeing this guy because he got appointment next week. But um, I remember meeting him in his office, which at the time was across the street from Lakeland. And he did a real thorough check of my eyes, probably about an hour and a half. Um, and he starts reading off all these you know, ocular, you know, this and this and this. I'm like, okay, doc, I shoot it to me straight. Can I go blind? He goes, no, you are going blind. He goes, it's just a matter of time. So, so from that point to here where I'm at, I've had over three dozen laser eye surgeries. Uh, I've actually woke up in the middle of one and uh, it was, it was interesting like i smelt this burning flesh sensation and i go oh man is that sausage and all i heard was holy and and then like two seconds later i was out again you know uh so he goes mr smith there was complications with the surgery yeah no kidding (laughs) no kidding i was there (laughs) right Uh, so long long story short is i've i've so over three dozen laser eye surgeries uh i've had uh 
uh, for vitrectomies, I've had... Um, oh, my, What's a vitrectomy? So it, it's basically when your retina becomes detached. And how that happened is, you know, when you do laser surgery, you in any surgery, you develop scar tissue. Well, the eye is such a small area that when scar tissue develop, what happens is it attaches to the retina and it literally pulled my retinas off. Mm. And, uh, so they did uh, four of these and the technology was so primitive when they first started doing this with me. Now the, the, you know, the recovery time then was uh, six months. Uh, so I have four of these. So literally two years of my life, I six months for each one. Wow. Correct. Yeah. So for, for literally two years of my life, I laid face, so you got to think of this like a level, you know, like when you, the bubble, mm -hmm. the whole goal was I had to lay perpendicular face down so that the bubble would push the retina. They cleaned the eye out. They removed as much scar tissue as they could. They put the retina, they, they lined it up to where it should be and they filled the rest of it with air, but I had to keep my head in such a position that the air would make it float to the top. Having that constant pressure is what reattaches it now were you at home yeah so yeah they just i just told you to lay down in bed with your head with your face down uh pretty much yeah i uh, couch months? yeah couch oh, God. for for two years that's excruciating Cause, yeah because i so what happened was the 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 first rounds didn't work they didn't hold the second round in my left eye it worked and i have 20 50 plus the left, I'm sorry, the right eye, when they went to do it, they, there was a new experiment where instead of using an air bubble, they, they were going to fill it with oil, a special kind of salve, if you will, that made it so you wouldn't have to necessarily hold your head in that position. However, it, it was, you know, still recommend you to keep it in a, you know, not bounce. Right, yeah, I wasn't much going much. to any mega death concerts or right, anything. Right. So, um, what happened was is the the oil was not didn't live up to what it was supposed to do and the retina never attached so i i have no sight in that that eye was the second time on the right eye correct and did they was there a third was there an option no, to do it there's, again there's just it's it it's inoperable so uh there there has been talks and anybody that knows me you know this this really freaks me out and if i weren't in a position i wouldn't even endorse or entertain it but you know there's been talks about putting uh camera lenses pr effectively into um eye nerves and and sinews that you could theoretically hook the camera up into your optical nerves to wow. be able to see That's some actually shit. It, it well it is and actually oddly enough the my doctor is one of the forefront leaders in that research so in the world but and uh, that, that still kind of freaks me out now your right eye as i look at you it's it's always pretty much closed is yeah. that um, I, I've trained myself to do that. And, and the reason oh, you do that yourself. Yeah. Okay. I mean, now I don't even does, think about does that. I move around on you or it, it, yeah. Like, but I don't, you know, from not using the, that muscle eyes are basically just muscles. You got to mm. work them out like anything else. Mm -hmm. It's just, you don't realize you're working them out because you're right, always you're, seen. Right. right. Uh, but it's, since it doesn't work and I don't regularly practice that using that muscle, it's just kind of like, like yeah, just, off and, and it's weird because like the first, little bit i'd have kids walking to me Ooh, what's wrong with your eye right. and so i'm just like you know what i i don't even want to deal with this so i i just programmed myself to um to keep it closed funny thing it wasn't two years it was two and a half years i was actually laid out because uh, <laughs> uh right before the the operation this got postponed i, I got ran over by a car and it broke my left leg and i i 
so for Holy like cow. yeah so i couldn't really walk too you much see it coming? i no i didn't actually <laughs> i know uh so so yeah so with, with my eyes right now um the the best my doctor can hope for is that it is stable and for the last um 12 years ish it, it has been but that's you know i work really hard to try to be as healthy as I can to exercise my eye. Mm -hmm. Um, like it sucks to read. I love reading. Uh, Uh, I I have like in my other room, I have like hundreds of books. I love reading, but it's, but it's hard. Um, but I do it because I enjoy it, but also it helps strengthen my eye. But you know, like I just try to do the best I can and stay as healthy as I am able to, um, to prolong the health of the eye. Yeah. So. Now you you've had kidney transplants too, right? <laughs> yeah. So what's that about? I mean. So okay. So I I guess so after my uh, eyes were kind of getting back on the mend, I I wanted to do something in my life. I wanted to like I I don't want to just suck. Yeah. So I I made a decision that at the time because laying on my ass for two and a half years, not being able to do anything other than lifting myself up to go to the bathroom or take a shower, I gained an enormous amount of weight. At this point in my life, once this dust had settled, I was 660 pounds. Oh, my God. And I, I, I decided um, high, high blood pressure, uh, you know, hypertension, uh, uh, diabetes, like all these things that come along with that. So I decided to have a gastric bypass. Um, the funny thing is I, I almost died during my gastric bypass. Um, this was another kind of ordeal because, uh, what happened was it was funny. The doctor wheeled me out. This is that Jaga medical center in UH. And, uh, you know, there's a real intensive process you had to go through back then. I don't know if you still do, but I had to go see a psychiatrist. I had to lose 60 pounds on my own. I had to stick for six months to, uh, this program that they had laid out. Like I had to follow it to the T, you know, uh, see a psychologist, but have multiple psychological evaluations just to make sure that they're going to invest the time and money and effort. Right. right. And, you know, because a lot of people get this done and they blow it out within a year. I'm literally in like the 99% success rate because I'm like 280. Um, I'm still a big guy, but not like I was. And um, the funny thing is the doctor, very good doctor, as she's wheeling me out, she's like, you know, just to let you know, I have the right to open you up if I need to. I go, what you mean? What do you mean by that? And they were going to do it laparoscopically. They were going to make three one-inch incisions and, you know, kind of work from there. Uh, She goes, well, you know, if we can't do it laparoscopically, we're going to make an incision, you know, from middle of your chest down effectively to your belly button, open up your stomach cavity and operate there. And I didn't want to do it. This is why I put it off. Cause I knew somebody that had it years ago and they went through that and it was a hellacious recovery process. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm thinking this is a hell of a time to tell me as you're wheeling me out into the, the, the OR. But I said, how many times have you had to do this? And she, <laughs> She's like, I've had thousands of patients. I've never had to do this once. Don't worry about it. So, wow, jinx. So, so literally, uh, it's supposed to be an hour and a half surgery. I was supposed to be in the hospital two days. What ended up happening is I was in the operating room for over eight hours. Um, during that time, what they found out was I had a congen- congenital birth defect, that my large and small intestines had fallen 
uh, out through a tear in the peritoneal thesis um, in the inner lining of my stomach. So basically what that meant is my guts were literally all tangled and literally outside of the pouch. Jesus. And that they, they believe that was a like from the time I was born. And they think that was something that contributed to the weight loss, just the abnormality, uh, or I'm sorry, the weight gain, how, how heavy sure, it was just sure. because of the abnormality. I mean, they can't prove that. But during that time, I, uh, I, like, I can't really raise my arm higher than this because my arms were above my head for like eight hours. I, I couldn't feel my arms for like three weeks. Really? Yeah, I had no, all the blood and everything flew out, of, uh, had, had drained out of my arms. No sensation. I could just barely even move my arms. Just, I couldn't, no, like I used to play guitar and mandolin and bass, and I, I really can't anymore because once I started doing that, I just, the sensation in my fingertips just leaves still to this day. But um, through that process, I was in the ICU for like two and a half weeks, um, literally almost died. Uh, but I started having a renal failure during then. My body was just under so much stress because uh, I, I caught pneumonia on top of everything else that was going on, all the drugs, all the medication they were trying to give me. And so the, the kidney started to decline at that point. Uh, that was in June of 2009. And then December 2011, uh, I was told that, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of edema, which is swelling it, um, the different parts of your body, but for me, it was in the ankles and the the legs up to the knee because basically I wasn't able to get out all the liquid waste uh, that a normal person would. So uh, I, I just I'll never forget that day. That was one of those weird out of body yeah, things right. I was telling you about. But um, the doctor called. He goes, "How you doing?" And my ex at the time, I literally sat on my couch from thanksgiving till like the week before christmas and i felt like i was dying and i can't i don't mean that to be disrespectful to people i've lost anyone or anyone that's gone through something traumatic but i literally felt like my body was shutting down um i i literally sat all day i i didn't do anything i didn't really eat i didn't you know just was there and i felt things just start to systematically stop i i so I, you know my ex is like you better not tell or you better not lie to him. Don't you lie to him. And so I just said, I, I don't feel good. I actually, I, I, I think I'm, I feel like I'm dying. And I just heard him go, Oh no. Over the phone. He goes, that's because your kidneys have stopped working. I need you to come in here now and we need to begin to do this and this and this. So I was on dialysis for about four years on, until I had a donor. Um, wow. You, it, had a, you had a tough uh, string there for what, 2004 to 2010, 2011? Uh, 2012. Yeah. You know, it, I, I, I do want to share this because, you know, people that listen to our show know I'm like the spiritual guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I remember, um, you know, it's, it's a hard process. I went through dialysis every day for every day. about four hours a day. Depending Did you go to it or was it brought to you? So, so one of the things, like, fortunately with God at the time, my ex was a dialysis technician. So I was able to do it at home. I okay. did, I did have to go into center for about six months. And I'll tell you what, it was, it's, it is the most soul crushing, depressing thing I've ever done in my life. Um, outside of a divorce, but I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> but, um, fortunately and she was gracious enough to do that at home and you know we get up at like four in the morning literally i'd get done about nine uh you know and she'd go to work probably about noon 
And that, that was our day, six, five to six days a week so for four years. Know, everybody knows the word dialysis, right? But is it, is, is it what everybody thinks it is? Is basically that machine is functioning as your kidneys? Uh, effectively. So what it is is that they build up the main artery in your arm. They do several surgeries to make sure all the little arteries are cut off and the bigger ones are all funneled into the main. It, it might it mean the arm. People can do it in the neck. They could do it in the groin, uh, uh, the side, I believe. But uh, for me, it was the arm. So they have one needle that runs in they have one needle that runs out obviously depends on the flow of the blood so the bad blood goes out goes into the machine and you're right it does it's kind of like a filter it and and, um you know there's liquid that so for example like if you are 10 pounds oh you have to have a base weight so say my base weight was 280 and uh one day i weighed 290 or 290 so that means i had 10 pounds of excess weight so they through that process they'd have to take 10 pounds of water off but also they would clean the blood and go through this filter system to take all the impurities out um and i did that every day for like four four and a half years and then i remember i I remember this is clear as i'm talking to you i I was you know i'm an avid walker and i have been actually when i had to lose 60 pounds to start my gastric bypass process i said okay i'm 660 pounds what what can I do that's not going to kill me? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I started walking, and I walked just about every day since then. And I remember, you know, I used that time to really pray and meditate. And I, I remember, as true as I sit here, I, 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 and you think I'm crazy, that's fine. Um, I literally heard the voice of God speak to me. And he said, and it's a, it was a scripture verse in Matthew 9. Um, and he said, if you who are evil know how to get good gifts... How much more will your Father in Heaven give to those who you ask? And I, I that was a jarring experience. Um, so I'm like, what do you mean by that? And I literally, when I finished my walk, I walked in the door and my ex-wife told me, I just got a call for you that there's a donor. That, like, that day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, really? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm sorry, I'm getting all. No, no. I'm Jesus. not, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, so. So I, I know that that's not a, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, and through that there, there's even a preparation for that. And my kidney rejected once I had to go back and have another surgery for it. Um, what happened was, is that the kidney, once they removed it from the donor, it was literally on ice for a little too long. Mm. Cause this is what they do. They remove it. They kind of clean it. <laughs> And then they put it on ice. And then the, the theoretically what should happen, the, the receiver should be like in the next room. Yeah. Ready to go. Right. Right. Perhaps and they literally way. put it like in a beer cooler. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, yeah I, a little igloo uh, roll top. Yes. Yeah, ex- that's exactly it. Yeah, I'm not even, people think I'm joking, but that's exactly how it is. So the, the problem was, is that it, it took a little longer for them to get it from the donor. And then it took a little longer with all my complications in my stomach for them to find where it was going to go. Oh so it, it 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 didn't take it you know i was in the the i was in the hospital for another week plus week and change went i was home not even 24 hours i had to go back so and that, what do they do well, i mean they they same gave kidney right they're gonna try to yeah so they, they right so they gave me a, a bunch of uh, antibiotics, ste- and antibiotics yeah. steroids yeah. um and then uh some anti-rejection because Anytime you introduce something genetically foreign into your body, your body's um, 
system is going to attack it and kill it yes. so, because they believe it is a foreign in, uh, thing. It is not belonging into your body. Uh, that's one of the things with these COVID vaxes that were so dangerous. Um, so my body was literally attacking this new kidney. So it was just trying to get all the medications level right, trying to get everything. Uh, so that literally happened twice. And then the, the second time I went back, I was in the hospital for about a about five, six days. Um, but since then... How, so that was... When was that? 2000? 2016. Did they have rapamycin back then? Did you take any of that? It's, it's, that doesn't ring a bell. Who called, knows? It's called something else. It's, it's, a medi- it's a medicine that was designed for organ, don- organ re- recipients to keep the body from rejecting it. I, I, and it's turned out that this thing... I listen, it's, oddly enough, I listened to Tim Ferriss' podcast today. Okay. Because this thing's like a wonder drug. Yeah. You're finding it, it does all kinds of other things. Um, and I'm trying to get my hands on some, but i got to figure out how. Um, uh, get, a, get a kidney. So I'm wondering. But, uh, I, I'll ha- they, they very well could have. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'll tell be, you the doctor, what the doctors call it. It's called something else. But, yeah, rapamycin. When, when you know, I've... I've I've had many overnight stays at the lovely UH facilities in downtown Cleveland and, and in Jaga. And, and one thing I could tell you is, honestly, you need to have a advocate with you because you cannot when you're in that situation, not just being in so much pain, but having all these tubes and everything, and you just had your body just went through a traumatic situation, even if it's minor surgery, and people are like, oh, I'm just having a minor procedure. I'm like, if it's on you, it is not a minor procedure. <laughs> no, it's not, not minor at to all. Me. Right? Cut, absolutely, me. absolutely. Yeah. So you really need to have an advocate, and you need to have somebody that loves you and you can trust to be there to help. Uh, you understand the decisions. You un- it's, it's more, it needs super importantly, even understand the medication they're going to give you. Uh, one thing I found out is that early on, when I was first diagnosed with uh, diabetes, which is initially what caused the eye, the 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 blood, my eyes were hemorrhaging. Uh, they they gave me this thing called uh, a vitamin, which was a uh, a pill that they gave diabetics, and it ended up that. Uh, it, it actually ended up causing harm to kidneys. And uh, I was part of a class ca- class action lawsuit. I think I got like $8 nice. from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, as of right now, everything is good. Everything's holding well. Well, I um, should hope so. You, you've had enough issues and tragedy and for, for, Several lifetimes. You know, it's interesting. I don't ever, I don't ever look at it that way. I, I honestly. Well, that's probably why you're still here. Maybe. I mean, I, you if, know, you're a, if you were a "woe is me, Debbie Downer" kind of guy, you might not have got back up after being knocked down so many times. I, I mean, I, I'm, and I'll be honest with you. In my, you've kind of joke around with it on the show, but uh, going through the divorce was like the worst thing. Like, I, I, I would go, I would have eight different gastric bypasses over again just to avoid that that kind of pain and that's something that that's not an easy heal that's you know those in in my circumstances like you know even like with my family i only have one blood relative i still talk with you know like literally my father assaulted me on three different occasions um you know it's just different things that went on with that and you know people can think what they will and that's fine hey god bless you everybody has an opinion they're like armpits they have a couple and they stink mm-hmm. um but that was that was in right off the heels of my my um my kidney too which is kind of a weird thing but um so when did you become 
is are you ordained? Are you an ordained minister? Yes. So, so when, when did you do that? Was that prior to, to yeah. this? Okay. So I I so it was called a MIP ministerial internship program, and it was with the church I was going through at the time. It was the uh, the dominant the denomination was with the Church of God Cleveland Tennessee. So it was an internship program. Plus it was like college work. And um, actually, my licensure, my ordination is right there to your, to your right, uh, and then my, my certificate to sodomize marriages is right next to it. So, um, but I, that was something. It, you know, and I'm just through my life, I've really have led an interesting life because I really felt at one point uh, my calling, my purpose was to be able to speak and and preach and tell people about Jesus and. Um, you know, I still do that, but I think it's just in a different way and I envisioned it. Exhorter? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's, so it's, it, it's technically, there's different levels, but it's an exhorter licensure. It, it is like an ordination. I can marry and bury, uh, and I do have a title of reverend. Let me, so. let me read this. Oh, William boy. G. Smith III is hereby certified as an exhorter, as an exhorter in the Church of God with international offices at Cleveland, Tennessee, USA, and is therefore authorized to preach and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ and perform any other such ministerial duties as authorized by the International General Assembly of the Church of God. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Yeah, it's the, hence the exhorter. Exhorter. Yeah. So that's it. So... <laughs> Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, a, you're still, a, relatively speaking, you're a young guy still. Yeah, forty five, forty six. Yeah, uh, forty five. Just forty five years old, mm. and you've you've been near death multiple times. You've been divorced. You're about to be remarried. Yes. You've. We haven't even talked about the good stuff. You're an author. Well, you you're know a what, podcaster. But you're, you know what? That is. See, see, this is where. I, listen, I'm not one of these. Like sunshine and rainbow guys. Mm -hmm. Like life is hard, mm -hmm. and and shit hits you right. However, what I can tell you is this: um, there's a verse in, in Romans chapter five. It says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance develops character. Character develops hope, and hope does not disappoint. So even though all that stuff was hard and excruciating, and if I had my way, I wouldn't have chosen to <laughs> go through. Any of that I took an easier route. <laughs> exactly. But I can, what I can tell you now is that like growing up as a kid, like I hated myself. I, I literally hated myself, you know, how I was raised and I'm not really throwing shade on like my mom, my, my dad's a whole nother story, but, um, I was just brought up to believe I'm worthless. I'm never going to mount not the best childhood. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think they probably did the best they knew to do. Sure. And I'm not, once again, I'm not throwing shade, but all that stuff, if you can get through it and if you can get perspective, it doesn't define who you are if you don't allow it to. So I'm now at a point now where, like, I, I, I believe I have worth. I believe I have value. I believe, most importantly, that I have been chosen for something. Uh, I have an interesting perspective and an a insight to things that I've always had as a young child. Um, I've always loved history. I've all, and people can laugh, but I've always had this notion. People now, you know, conspiracy theory is now like the 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 buzzwords, sure. but I remember being a kid watching JFK, the Oliver Stone film and like, holy shit, like our government killed right. this guy. 
And it dawned on me literally at that young age. So ever since that young age, I've been in, inquisitive in regards to history, um, conspiracies, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I believe history repeats itself. But it's uh, so anyway. No, but you're right. I mean, not the best childhood, a rough go of it ever, you know, for, for a, a pretty significant portion of your life. But you have a, a fantastic outlook. I bet you appreciate every sunrise. I do. Probably 95% of us take it for granted. I tell you what, man, I, you know, this is one thing, uh, you know, you, I've always, my best friends have been my best friends since I was literally in kindergarten, grade Mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I so value those men. Mm -hmm. I value every cigar we share, every, every whiskey that we enjoy together. Every time we go to a record store, every time we uh, just sit around, have, you know, um, a fire in my place or whenever our wives or fiancés or girlfriends get together, or I I value now my relationship with my uh, fiancé, soon to be wife more than I ever did in my ex. And it's Mm -hmm. not a a better, it's just me. I'm what changed. You've changed. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and even like with, in regards to my book, um, the, the process I went through writing that, like I changed while writing it. And I think I've made the most drastic change in my life since I finished it. So, so let's talk about the book. Um, when did you start thinking about it? When did you start thinking about putting pen to paper and getting some of the, some of the stuff down and so conveying I, your message? Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, one of my lifelong best friends, Jeremy, actually, he and I were, uh, and I talk about it in the very beginning of the book. We were walking around at Target, and this was like 2016. This is Target at the time was getting heat because they were allowing anybody to use whatever bathroom they wanted to. This was like the tra- this was the the tip of the sword mm-hmm. with all that nonsense. And I remember just walking around. He was looking for a coffee. Yeah, he was looking for a coffee machine. And I, I'm listen. I'm a dude. I don't. That's just not. I don't know my way around Target, and he didn't either. You know, I know where the record department is, but other than that, I don't know. So I just I. Once again, it was one of those moments in my life where I really believe I heard Lord, the Lord speak to me and say, what the hell has happened to all the men in society? And that's where I start the book off. And it wasn't uh, like he wasn't asking me to answer him. He wasn't asked. He didn't need me to give him. He generally him. wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, Bill, what do you think about this? But uh, so that, that's what started the journey. And I, I felt this impetus to write this. Uh, to do all this research, to, um, you know, I, I had a journalism writing background. So that part isn't the difficult part for me was doing the research and, and really trying to whittle down as much fat as I could to get as much as I was able to in, in, in this book. And um, it really, my my heart, even when I was a, a minister, like when I like to say it as I was a politician um, and people who are ministers, you can let me know if you have a problem with that. I'll be more than happy to talk with you. But, uh, you know, when I was a politician, I thought, well, my calling is to be a pastor for college kids, young, young adults, or to travel. Cause I, I've traveled the country and I've, you know, everywhere and spoken and preached and whatever. Uh, but it, there was a, a shift for me and I just never thought I'd focus like on a book about men, but I feel like, and I, and I just, it, 
the evidence of that is me even how like our friendship and our relationship is developed because you have a yeah. similar heart, especially for men. And this isn't a misogynistic thing. One of the things no. I write in the book is that one thing you realize is that the high tide makes all ships rise. So when men begin to take on the mantle that they were created by the Almighty to, that's when the women can stop wearing their man, the men's mantle and become the women that they were designed to be and the children and so on and so forth. That's what I mean by the high tide makes all ships rise. So for me, these are just really elementary things like, you know, I was raised with like being accountable, like forgiveness, humility, benevolence, um, manners, chivalry, uh, you just, you know, quality, you know, character, things like that, that, you know, I, I, I talk about in each chapter, uh, having a work ethic, um, you know, I, right now in the position I'm at, we're, we're looking for people to work and can't, you can't find people to work. Um, so these are just things I felt like as I was putting this all together and I just through prayer and whatever, like if, if I can encourage guys, like knowing who I am and the crap I've gone through to be like, Hey, this dude is trying to figure this out and trying to go on this journey. Maybe I'll go with him and maybe we can all kind of discover together. Um, what like our grandfathers or great grandfathers generation, what that was like, you know, and, and not that they were perfect by any means, but they were men. Yeah. And, you know, they were, and they didn't take, Guff. Yeah, there, 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 there was no uh, confusion in regards to gender back in those days, and 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 so on and so forth. But, and that's not to throw shade on people that are genuinely struggling and confused. But I, you know, hey, I, with, with as much love as I can, I wrote this book, and I, and I hope it's doing some good. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk about the pod. Yes. So Flawedcast. That's. It's been a while now. How many? How many? A couple of years? Three years? Two and a half, almost three years. Almost three yeah, years going strong. So, I mean, really. Uh, yeah, when I first appeared, it was what four or five of us sitting in this little room. Yeah. And you guys had a you had a cool format, and I liked all the guys, and I knew some of them. Turned yeah. out I knew some of them prior that I, I didn't even realize. But then you've changed the format recently. Yeah. You want to talk to that and, and sure. what, what the what the pod's all about and. Sure. So um, once again, my best friend Jason Santee and I about three years ago we were in a position where. We, uh, along with a, like a group of us, about five or six of our friends, uh, you know, we would meet every week and have cigars and whatever. And, and we would always end up talking about God. Like how, how just not in a proselytizing manner, but just in a manner of we acknowledge that there is a being who is greater than we are that created everything that is seen and unseen by his mere voice and we are yielding to that and as men living in these days how can we navigate the situations how can we as uh, friends hold one another accountable uh, as members of a society and a community how can we be benevolent like a lot of stuff I talk about in the book and there was this this desire to have genuine community you know, with, with guys, but just Fellowship. with our families. Fellowship. Yeah. You know, and just have a place where like we can drop all the pretentious bullshit mm-hmm. and really be authentic. Cause I really personally believe the one thing that attracts the almighty more than anything is authenticity. And, um, all of this, you know, we would meet every week and we thought, well, we could do this, we could do that. But it, it was just simply like one day Jason and I were like, Hey, let's just do a podcast. That's the simplest thing we can do. And if people want to come with us on this journey, they're more than welcome to. So uh, he and I started back in 2000, 
19, yeah, 2019. And every week we just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pray or whatever. And God will lay something in my heart or like, we, we try to talk about timely things and how it relates to where we're at with, um, spiritual things, or we try to highlight, um, kind of like how our, you know, the honorable man podcast, like, you know, we got SHTF and we got health and we, we try to approach all that stuff from a spiritual perspective, because for me, holistically, everything that we discuss here, an honorable man is crucial, so important. However, the, the essential thing is the spiritual component. So that's where we really try to, uh, approach everything at. And, um, you know, guys have been able to be committed for different seasons and we've changed formats, you know, life happens, so on and so forth. So now, um, you know, uh, my co-host Carl, that Carl Tuckerson, that's his, uh, his, uh, Nine alias. Yeah. Thank, Nine of Plume, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're carrying that on and, you know, I, it, it's one of these things where like, do you still want, you know, talking to God, do you still want me to go and do this? And it's like, yes. So I just feel like, there's a need for things like what we're doing, what the uh, flawcast, what we're doing, because the popular voice is one that would seek to neuter and strip and rob people of their faith and of their dignity. And it's so important, especially as men. Uh, once again, I'm not being misogynistic at all. I love women and I, I think women are f- far better than we are and they're f- far more fair than we are and wise and gracious than we are. And that's, a, I, you wouldn't argue with that with me because it's all true. Um, but as men, we, we need to stand firm uh, in faith and we need to stand firm that there is evil like legitimate evil that we are facing. Um, and there are things that we can do now to prepare ourselves for this, you know, the spiritual battle coming. <laughs> I'll just leave it at, leave no, it it's at ongoing. that. It's ongoing. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, you know, I used to coach little kids and I would say, hey, the best thing you can do for the team is to improve yourself. Yeah. The best thing we can do for women is to be better men. Yeah. And a part of being better men is getting together with like-minded men in fellowship and being authentic, authentic, authentic. with each other yeah, and dropping the facades. Cause you know, up until five years or so ago, I, other than my couple closest friends, I was a, I was an actor yeah. when I was around other men. I was somebody that I wasn't really, you know, yeah. I was, I was a tough guy, hard ass with my chest out. Bravado. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and I put on this, this, this facade. Yeah. And then only in the last five years or so have I learned to be authentic with people. Once I realize that they deserve authenticity. Right. What's interesting about that, you must've read my book, but you know, the, the second chapter is called character, you know, and there's, that's a, there's duplicity in that meaning. And what I mean is you can be an actor, play a character, right? You know, like what I, what I write is, um, Anthony Hopkins isn't, uh, cannibalistic serial killer he is as far as i know on the other hand maybe (laughs) well yeah well that that, that's why i chose anthony hopkins but um but you know we and this is like listen i I have no shame i'll tell you whatever you want to know because this is what i've learned if i give my secrets away you have nothing to hold over me and yeah i see a therapist i i need help working out what's in my mind and in my heart because i don't hold the whole horizon in my view I need help with that. Guys, we need help. We need one another. Quit the, the Bravo bullshit. Quit. I, I, as much as I love John Wayne and, and St. Stallone and all these guys, they are actors. They are fictitious. 
we here in the real world, we need be able to to share our deepest, darkest with men that we can trust. And, and I think a lot of the reason why we don't, in addition to kind of having that facade like you're talking about, is because I, I, I think by and large in society, most men would rather slit your throat than have an ounce of honesty and vulnerability with you. Vulnerability, weakness. Yeah. That's, we were taught at a young age to bury that shit. Yeah. We, get, we get hit hard in midget football, and we're told right away to bury that Walk stuff. Walk it off. Walk it off. Don't mm. cry. Um, and women... That's why we die seven years earlier, because we hold everything in. And <laughs> right. Sooner or later, You're the heart right. just goes, that's enough. And you know, the whole stoic guy that, stoic, stoicism has been bastardized by Hollywood with the, yeah, the man with no name and John Wayne. And, right. You know, stoicism isn't about yeah. that. Stoicism is about <sighs> recognizing what you can control, using reasoned thought yes. to guide you throughout life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that. It's not holding everything in. It's communicating right. But trying to remove as much emotion out of that communication as possible. Well, sure. I mean, Socrates said, the older I know, the more I don't know. Mm. I, I mean, that's that's vulnerable and authentic. I, you know, so I agree with you. But, I, I mean, what I, what I would really say on that is, you know, people like, because they asked me, like, well, I, I don't know anybody I trust. And I said, well, how do you determine that? And I said, honestly, the only way I know is when you get stabbed in the back. Yeah, be be hundred percent authentic with people, and then when they when they burn you, then yeah, and you'll know the, you'll, you'll know right away, and then that person's done. And yeah, then, and, then you're out. And that's not even listen. And, and the, here's the thing that you, I try not to even hate that on that person because there's no, a character deficiency I, I, in I, that person. Sure. Somewhere along the line, they've taken it up the ass, and they've not been able to properly heal. And that doesn't mean they're better or they're worse. They're just they're in that part of the journey. But the lessons that you can learn from that hopefully will aid you and just don't let it get bitter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So, but as men, as a whole, not just being men, but being honorable, doing the right thing. You know, Vander Holyfield who was my favorite heavyweight of all time. He said, you know, doing the right thing is hard, but it's right. You know, it's like one of those things, like I just, even the other day, I, I, I forgot I was somewhere and there was like trash on the ground right by a, a garbage can. And I, I walked by and I'm like, you know what? Nobody's going to see me do, do this. I'm not going to get a reward, but you know what? I'm going to know for myself that I'm that man. It'll eat you up inside if you oh, walk yeah. past it. No, I got three steps past it. I'm, I'm like, like that with shopping carts and, and yeah, shopping carts. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I end up grabbing them. Or like because I'm a big guy. I'm like six three. So you know, you see somebody struggling to get mm-hmm. that on the top shelf. Like, can I help you with that? You know, and and when you talk about making the world a better place, that it's literally those are the things Small. that yeah. Small, little random acts of kindness, doing the right thing. You know, the right thing is seldom the easy thing. It never. <laughs> it's never the easy thing. It's You're never right. the easy God, thing. God, does it feel good? Right. Don't well, you feel good at the end of the day when you, you've put in a, a good day's work, you were genuine and authentic with your loved ones, and um, you may, you did some good in the world. And you can lay your head down and, and know, hey, this was a good day. And you stack one after another, day after day, week after week, month after month. Next thing you know, man, you're making a difference because Tim always says, you don't know who's listening. Yeah. And at the same time, you don't know who's watching. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you two things. One, uh, you know, the, the, the night my ex left me, I remember that was the worst pain I've ever felt. But I remember staring at myself in, that, in the bathroom mirror right over there. And I said, when, no matter what you do moving forward, you have to do the right thing. You ha- if you make mistakes, make mistakes in a loving manner because you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror every day and go to bed knowing that what you did was the right thing. Yeah, and I'm sure you went in a dark place and you could have oh, gone a bunch I, of different I, directions. I was in a dark neighborhood for, for years. And at times, I'm like, I want to stay here. Yeah. 
And, and there were times, literally, I would pray. I'm, I'm not suicidal. I would never do that. And I am a big two-way advocate, so I would have means to do that. Sure. Um, but I would never do that. And, but I would pray every day. I'm like, God, I don't want to get out of this bed. Please take me home. I, I remember one time I was actually at church, and I just, in the, in the dark corner to myself, I just broke down. And I said, I don't want to live anymore. I can't process this hurt. I can't process this pain. I can't take another step forward. Um, but to quote St. Stallone, you know, it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can take a hit and keep moving forward. And, you know, in regards to the whole action thing, and this is be my proselytizing moment of the, of the episode, but, you know, as Christ hung on the cross, he didn't want to take on the sins of the world as a man. But he chose to do that, and he did that in a loving manner. Um, and I, and I, I would like to hope that, to think I can emulate that. Not that I really <laughs> like Christ like like that, but, um, no, but in it, some it's small, the, some small right. manner in your way and in, in yes. your day to day. Absolutely. I mean, and we all have the availability. The, one of the things I've learned in writing my book, and I'll shut up and let you say whatever. But there is no big me in life. You and I walk. You know, we have this podcast. We have the mics. But there's no, um, you know, there's not, you and I don't have capes. We don't, we don't have superpowers. We, we're just dudes and, and we're just trying to do the right thing. You listening to this, you're just a man. And that's awesome. That's to be celebrated. But you have the ability to do the right thing. And if you don't know what the right thing is, you are in a good place listening to what uh, Ed and Tim talk about and, and uh, just having men around you that can you can model your life after. And I'll even say this. I, I want to give you a copy of my book. I want to sew into you. Uh, so reach out to the guys here and I'll happy to send you a, a PDF version on the house. It's funny. It's kind of ties in the. So every morning I read John C. Maxwell. Uh, yeah. Some other things, but love um, John Maxwell. So today was talking about how, and he, you know, how many books has that guy sold? How many people, I mean, I have like five personally. I mean, he's he's probably sold half a million, a million books. Falling forward's my favorite. I mean, the guy has touched he, yeah. I, on leadership. He is the expert, yeah. and he's, he he talks about, um, you know, I've done some good things in my life, but I I don't. I'm completely certain that at my funeral, people will say a couple nice things about me, and then 15 minutes later, they'll be worried about where the potato salad is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. all of us, right? Yeah. I mean, we've all gone yeah. to funerals, and they're heartbreaking, and then they say their final goodbyes, and then everybody goes to the to the reception or whatever, and then yeah. and then it's about celebrating and moving on, and the sun comes up. and yeah. So we're here for a short amount of time. We're trying yes. to do the... The most we can to help as many people as we can, many as many men as we can, but we don't make any any bones about the fact that we're just a couple knuckleheads and you know. <laughs> if you if you only knew legacy, that's all. If well, and, and Spurgeon, who is a great theologian, and I'm gonna I'm always botch this up, but it is in it is in my book. I quoted exactly. He said, "Don't write your legacy on tomb on uh, tombstones. Write your epitaph on the hearts of men." Mm-hmm. And any wealth, I, I'm not a rich person, any knowledge I have, any immaterial thing I have, I, I just want to give it away because that's what's going to live on. If, if anything, if, if I die tonight, literally, you're right. Um, I'm sure my dog might miss me. I'm sure my fiance might and my buddies, but they'll move on. Yeah. And, and I want them to. I don't well, that's, want, that's, I don't want them living life. in reverse. And so many people are. Don't, don't live your life in the rear view. Move forward, you know, uh, and it's beautiful. Yeah. So what's on the horizon for you? 
Uh, right. Well, my marriage, <laughs> getting, <laughs> getting married. Uh, we, you know, um, I'm trying to fix up the house cause we're going to put it on the market soon and we need to find another place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on my new book. Uh, it's kind of unique, so I don't want to give too much away, but anybody who knows me at all, um, knows that there are a couple people in my life that I genuinely look up to. Um, and it's a book about those men. I'm going to keep doing the podcast. Uh, actually I am researching, you know, it's funny you talk about Maxwell, but I'm working on a follow-up piece to uh heart of man repair Mm -hmm. manual to uh, the leadership repair manual. Uh, but Maxwell intimidates me because I don't know anything else I could say or improve upon what he's already said. I can just offer my point of view. I thought about that. I have the imposter syndrome a lot when it comes to the stuff that I'm doing too, (laughs) but you know what? And it's, it's, I don't know how many original thoughts I have because I listen, you know, for about five years, I averaged 50,000 miles a year driving. And all I did was listen to podcasts. I did two things. I got a, basically got a master's degree in real estate and self-improvement. And that's all I did was listen to those two types of things. So I don't know how much is original and not, <laughs> but yeah, I get it. my point is your voice is what's original. Yeah. Your voice. Mm-hmm. You never know who's going to take to your method of writing yeah. the way you deliver a message. Listen, there's, there hasn't been too many original thoughts since. Yeah. For Marcus Aurelius. Pretty I mean, much. Yeah. You know, you, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, yeah, all those I mean, guys, all those things. Epicus. Yeah. All we've been doing ever since then is re- regurgitating yeah. that. Just like everything is, everybody's regurgitating the Beatles. You know, I mean, yeah. But I mean, it's just your voice. Yeah. Focus on your voice. You have a voice. You have an interesting perspective on things, and just continue to cultivate that, and then you will find your tribe. You will find the people that yeah. that are ready to to. to March with you into Valhalla. There, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's all you can do. I mean, you might have some original thoughts. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I, tough. I, Think I, about it. I mean, the human spirit, the human condition, it's been around it's, a long time. It's, I mean, yeah, what can we easily. offer? Well, I... I think I think you thank you for that encouragement for me, but I'm going to turn around also for you and for the people listening. You you being created, you know, it says in one, one, Psalm 139 that the Lord knew you and formed you in your mother's womb and wrote down all the days of your life in his book before one came to be. So there is a plan, there is a purpose, and there is a uniqueness that is divinely woven within you, Ed, and with you, the listener right now. Uh, so find that voice and be the best you that the Almighty has created you to be. Great stuff, Bill. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. For, thank you for sharing your story and being as genuine and authentic and appreciate that. No, hey, I I was talking to uh, a dear, dear friend of mine today, and they're going, she and her husband are going through some hard times with their kids, and I, I said, listen, this is my experience with this and this. And they go, wow, that's a lot of wisdom. I said, I don't think so. I like, I just have to learn things the hard way. And um, that's just how I am. So if I can share something and you can hear, hear something and just take it and make it your own and you can avoid any, any dumbass mistakes, yeah. d- do it. Don't, don't, don't be me. Don't be, do, <laughs> don't say, learn things uh, the hard say way. say what? Learning from your mistakes is smart. Learning from other people's mistakes genius. is genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so where can people find you? What, what are we looking for? What do you got? So, uh, and we'll the, have all this in the show notes. Uh, yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, so my, uh, 
Amazon author page of my book, Smith's Heart of Man and Repair Manual. Please get a copy of that. Um, you know, I have a couple on hand if you want to autograph copy, which I know sounds pretentious as hell, and it is. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd be more than happy to give you one. And, and uh, But if you can get that, actually, the thing that would really help is if you've already got it, please leave a five-star comment if you liked it. Um, that does help in the Amazon rating charts. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, if, if you want a copy and purse strings are tight or if you're just, you know, whatever, I want to sew into people, um, reach out to uh, the guys and I'll, I'll make sure they get you um, a PDF copy or if you prefer a hard copy uh, or a paperback, I'll, I'll get one to them too. Uh, and then our, our podcast is Flawedcast, Flawedcast C-L-E, anywhere podcasts are. Uh, just type that in. Every week we put out a new episode. I just finished today's episode, or I'm sorry, this week's episode today, so it's locked and loaded Friday mornings at 6 a.m. We always uh, get those out. So, um, But listen, thank you, Ed. I, I didn't oh, think no, my life you. was this interesting, but now we got uh, we, we got a little over an hour in, and if you're still listening, <laughs> you know, sure God can, bless I'm you. Sure so. there's a lot more to talk about. But, uh, yeah, there you know, always guys, is. Early, early, early on in the pod, Bill mentioned that he wants to make his career, you know, getting out and talking to men, whether that be uh, through his books, through his podcasts, or in person. Yeah. Going on the lecture circuit. So let's let's try to make that happen. Let's um that'd be awesome. Let's Thank let's you. think that into uh into existence, right? That, thoughts, prayers, all that, that'd be great. And then yeah. the way you honestly the way you can help is if you get a copy of the book or if you're in a position uh, if you're at a church or if you're part of a group and you need someone to come and speak, I would love to do that. And uh, that that's where my calling is. That's where I, I've always believed where my gift is, where my niche in society is that. Awesome. Awesome. The world needs honorable men more than ever. It's time to get out there, step up, get involved, and be honorable. See you next week, guys.